0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We all have questions, and we're all looking for the answers, but sometimes navigating the answers to cultural issues through the lens of the gospel can be challenging. Join us for our Asking for a Friend series, where each week we'll answer tough questions and provide you with gospel-centered answers that you can share with a friend. exciting announcement as well. Uh, Maybe you guys saw if you are on the church email uh, thread or you follow me on Facebook. But uh, we are very excited to announce that we are going to be starting a construction project here in this facility. And, And we're excited because as we've just celebrated children, We're celebrating that God has extended our church and he's grown our church and he's grown our children's department so much so that we need more room. And we've added a third service, and we've got all the teams in place to volunteer, but what we 're seeing is we need more room as we continue to see families become more comfortable with our church and call it our home so we 're actually taking our, our administrative offices, and we're we're demoing that out. We are making more children's space, and so with that excitement, with that joy. We're actually asking if people want to come out tomorrow night from 5 to 9, anytime in between that time, we would love for you to come out and help us as we move things around, clean up, and prepare that area for the construction that is starting Tuesday morning. And and I don't like talking about this too often because I don't want us just to celebrate people that attend. I want us to celebrate salvations and celebrate dedications and and celebrate what God's doing here through his stories. Uh, But God has done something so cool here that that we can just give him all the glory for. And, And that's just People becoming part of our family. And even last week as we saw baptisms and this week with dedications. And so thank you so much for continuing to invest in our family, to to be part of this family, to to give generously so we can even uh, carry on these projects with the hope of getting our own facility. This will buy us some time as we prepare to get our own facility and have that as a beacon of light in this community. So to God be all the glory for that. So excited, so excited. If you want to come out tomorrow night, 5 to 9, again, we would love to see you there. And so let me jump into the message. Uh, We've been in this series for the last couple weeks called Asking for a Friend. I love this. Because these are questions that our church is asking, right? Last week, one of the big topics that we hear year in and year out is anxiety. And so we touched on that topic, and I heard from you, I heard from our church, man, this hit close to home because everyone in some capacity faces anxiety faces it with their jobs, with their life, medical reasons, you name it, anxiety is real. And and so another topic that we heard a lot about that people wanted to discuss is how do we defend our faith? Like, how do we? How do we defend our faith in a world that looks at Christians and has an image of Christians as narrow-minded, bigoted, judgmental uh, people who, who they don't feel safe with? And I know that's not every Christian. I know that's not all our stories. But you look at surveys, and it says, for, for, for the masses, this is how people see a lot of Christians. How are we to defend our faith? How are we to make an impact on this world? And I think about that. In a world that's skeptical, that's cynical, that has doubt, how do we respond? I have a buddy, and um, he's the guy who's always rational. Rational right? He's objective. He's always thinking about facts. And, and I'll be like, man, this, this happened. It is so amazing. God's moving in incredible ways. He's like, yeah, I don't think that's real. Like, I think that's fake. I don't believe it for a minute. And I'm like, really? And, and I always say, dude, you are a total killjoy. And he's like, well, I'm a killjoy? Okay, well, you live with rose-colored glasses, And so we go back and forth, we banter, we laugh. But he's that guy who is skeptical of everything. And I tend to be a a general optimist. And so we, we, we banter, we go back and forth, and I was thinking about skepticism. I'm thinking about us in this room, and we have people on, on both sides of the spectrum. We have people that, man, we're going to take leaps of faith. There's not going to be much thought. We believe in God, and, but maybe there should be more thought, right? And then we have some of us who, were, we are heavily objective. We are rational. We, we, we measure things out. And, and so on that bandwidth, no matter where we are, it is okay to have a healthy level of skepticism. It's okay to have a healthy level of doubt if that doubt is what's leading you to the truth. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask the hard questions to our family, friends, coworkers, because the hope is that we will find truth. And so in those moments, the hope is that we can respond in a way that, that shows them Christ, shows the world Christ, shows them what we believe, and in return, they surrender their lives to Christ. And, and so let me say it this way How do we respond to an unbelieving world that will help them see Jesus? How will we respond? You know, when the world sees us, do they see Jesus? When they interact with us, with their doubts, with with their skepticism, with their cynicism, when they interact with us, what do they see? And so scripture describes how we are to defend our faith when the unbelieving world comes to see us, to interact with us, to talk with us. And so when the unbelieving world sees us, we are to let them see Jesus. That's the goal. When they interact with us, they should interact with someone who is different, who is countercultural, that is set apart, that beats to a different drum. And, and so when they see us, that should be their interaction. But the struggle is that the world doesn't say they see Jesus through us. Right? The, the Word of God. Tells us to be excited and be joyful for these interactions. That maybe this is a divine appointment from God. And we should be enthusiastic and eager to defend our faith. But in the midst of this, what, what we see is that the world, they don't see that eagerness. They don't see that joy. They don't see that love. They don't see that peace. And I know I'm making a general statement. But when the unbelieving world sees Jesus... Hopefully, they see Jesus through us because we're called to go and make disciples of all the nations. And I think about our worlds, and and I can look out right now, and I know some of your careers. I know some of your lives. We have people we interact with every week that we are probably the only Christian that interacts with them on a regular basis. Right? Like the answer isn't, okay, let me bring Pastor Winston over to, to your job. And okay, all right, Pastor Winston, go. And I'm like, let me tell you the truth, you know? Uh, and, you know, that's not, that's not the answer. That's borderline scary, okay? And, and so the answer is you, the answer is us. We are the answer. It's not my commission or the, the elders' commission or staff's, it's all our commission to go make disciples of all the nations. And so this is a challenge that we all face. And so the big question of how, how do we defend our faith? How do we do this? Well, I think First Peter has a lot of truth that we can glean from today that can help us as we defend our faith to this world. It's a question, again, we all have. And I say this often when I write my sermons. You know, Sometimes I just want to confess where I'm terrible in these areas. But then every week you'd hear me confess something. Man, I could be better at this. I could be better at that. And we don't want this to be an open confession from Pastor Winston. right? But when I'm writing this sermon, I'm like, man. This is something I need to be reminded of all the time. In 1 Peter, we see that they face this. Actually, in 1 Peter, when the letter was written, it was written to the dispersion of churches and communities just south of the Black Sea in what is called Asia Minor. Right? Asia Minor is, is modern-day Turkey, and we see the, that the Christians in these areas were the Christians in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And these towns, it's been widely accepted that these are names that described a travel route to be followed by the carrier of this letter through this Roman province. And so Peter, when writing this letter, his primary purpose is trust in God and obedience to God. And that's big because it's one thing to say, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe. We just sang the songs, right? We sing the songs, we declare it with our mouth, but we see that love through obedience, right? We hear this all the time. We we believe something, we say something, but our life really shows whether we really believe it or not. And so Peter teaches on trust and he teaches on obedience, And so Peter writes of what God has done for them in Christ, and then he applies that truth to the reader's lives practically. And so let's listen to 1 Peter 4.19. This is what it says. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And so let's leave that up there for just a second, because it says this. This is the suffering part, because we know at this time, Christians are suffering. And so in the midst of this, we got to trust God, but you see that last three, two, three words, while doing good. The goal is to continue to do good, to do good in the face of hostility, in the face of people who are patronizing. You know, I don't think anyone's going to go take a torch to your car or house because you're a Christian, especially not in our culture. But but they will be patronizing, will definitely be belittling. They'll poke the bear, right? And, and if you were a non-Christian and, and you remember, maybe you were the bear poker, right? Like, you were the one. You know, my name's Winston. My friends used to call me the Winstigator, okay? And, and that's because I would love just poking at people and making jokes. And are you surprised I would make jokes? But the thing is... The goal is to in the face of suffering do good. To continue to do good for the world to see. And so while there's so much we can explore in 1st Peter, I want to acknowledge three realities we need to embrace so that when the unbelieving world sees our lives, this is the most undeniable defense we have. And the first thing that will help us have an undeniable offense or defense is to not fear those who mistreat us. That sounds so simple, right? Now, I'm not saying we're afraid, again, for our lives, but we're afraid to hurt our relationship. Oh, maybe they're not going to like me anymore. Maybe they're not going to talk to me anymore. Maybe they're, they're, they're not going to trust me anymore. It's not a fear fist to thing. it's a fear of something that will be lost in that relationship. Number one thing I hear about people, and, and even I've seen it myself, people sharing their faith, is they're afraid of a relational change. I'm afraid. My relationship, if I start breaching this often, will never be the same with that person. And so we need to not fear if we're mistreated for our faith. Look at what it says in 1 Peter three thirteen through 14. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. You, you see, in that text, what we see is we should not be afraid of the harm We should not be afraid of the hurt because what we face in persecution, we actually will be blessed. God will bless us. He'll bless our relationship with him. Not just in heaven, but right now. I'm not saying like every time we share our faith and someone is hostile to us, like God pulls out his wallet, all right, here's a 50, right? You know, maybe that would motivate us more, right? The reality is, that our relationship, our condition with God is more united because we care more about our relationship with God and we care more about the person's relationship with God than our relationship with them. We love them so much, we care less about their relationship with us than the relationship with God. And that's powerful. And so we shouldn't be afraid of how we're mistreated. We shouldn't be afraid and have no fear. Because for righteousness sake, we will be blessed. You know, that first phrase, it says, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? You know, that word, that phrase to harm you can also be translated who will harm you or who is going to harm you. And the sentence is a rhetorical question. Is there really anyone who will harm those who are eager to do good? You know, in a world that, you know, likes to talk, no one wants to challenge someone who's actually helping the world. Right? Whether Christian or non-Christian, if you feed someone who's hungry, that's considered good. You know, if you go and help someone fix up parts of their home, use the gifts you have, Christian or non-Christian, that's good. And so what it's saying here is our lives are speaking to the world as a witness. Even Peter draws from Psalm 34, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. So even in the midst of suffering... We can know that God is with us. He's our refuge and strength. And even with that word, with harm, the actual word is in the Greek is tarasso. And tarasso means to be shaken up, to be disturbed, to be frightened, to be in emotional turmoil. We know what it's like to get shaken up. Some of us have careers where we get We get shook. I mean, I think about our first responders, right? I think about EMTs and nurses and doctors and firefighters, policemen, so many of them, any military, so many of us on on the scene, and we're shook, we're disturbed. There's emotional strain. And so imagine when we experience that directed towards us. I don't know about you, but my, my family and friends that don't know Jesus, it hurts me. It hurts me in my gut. It's getting a little bigger every year. But the thing is this. It hurts because I love them. And I want them to have what I have. I desperately want them to experience what Christ has done in my life. And so if I'm walking away and dancing away like, okay, I have another chance in a week. No, I should, because of that hurt, because of that pain, it should spur me to continue to speak into their lives. Not be afraid if they mistreat us. And so I think about that. When was the last time we've experienced great fear or a troubled spirit because of us sharing our faith? Where it just, just hurt. just didn't go like we planned. It wasn't pretty. And we walked away and we were emotionally in turmoil. You know, I think about that. We, we experience those things on a global scale and we experience those in a, in a local scale. And the hope is when we have that experience from someone towards us, we should respond with grace. We should respond with forgiveness. <laughs> That's a hard one. We should respond with the eternal love that Christians have through Christ. Followers of Jesus, we've been given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we see the struggle of, and the grip of fear and anxiety now can be overcome. Doesn't mean it's going to be taken away. It'll be taken away on the other side of this life completely. But you see all in Scripture, do not fear, take Heart. I am a strong tower. I'll put you under my wings. I'll be a fortress for you. I'll be your guard, your protector, minister to you. And so, in the midst of this, let us not forget the promises of God. Even in the Great Commission, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, again, how do we defend our faith against non believers? We don't fear if they mistreat us. That's a goal that we are not afraid when they mistreat us. But that's not all. A second thing that we must do is always be prepared to offer the hope of Christ to others. Okay? It's not just, all right, we're we're, we're not going to be burdened or or we're not going to be hurt uh, uh, completely by them. We're going to forgive them. We're going to be graceful. We also have to be ready to respond. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 3, verse 15 through 17. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, May be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for what is doing good, for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It's a lot in here. We are called as Christ's followers to be prepared. We are called to be ready for what? We are called to honor Christ as Lord in our hearts by sharing the hope that we have. You know, if our message about Christ is not birthed out of a life obedient to him, then it's quickly going to be dismissed and cast aside. So when that time comes, when there is opportunity to defend, if our life, I'm not saying sinless, perfect, I'm not saying that, but if our life does not align, we're going to get called on it. We will, and I know it. I've been called on it. One of my stories I've shared many times over the years is when I moved out of my parents' home. I was 18 years old. I moved into an apartment with my buddies. I thought I was going to be an electrician, and so I went to work at an electric firm, and so I had my friend, former quarterback of the high school team, my friend I played soccer with, friend I played uh, uh, basketball with, so we were all competitive. We all lived in this apartment no one knew how to clean a toilet. It was bad, okay? The, the place, it could have seen better days. We lived on ramen noodles and I don't even know. But the thing is this, uh, we got into a lot of fights <laughs> over random things, Madden football, um, Super Smash Brothers, you name it. And, and I remember one day it was an especially heated moment, and me and my buddy were going at it. And I remember him and I just jawing at each other. And I was being a winstigator. And the thing is, he looked at me and he said something that still stings to this day. And he said, You know what? You talk about this God all the time, but your life is no different than mine. I remember hearing that and being struck the core because he was right he was completely right I was living a life of hypocrisy so when he saw me he didn't see Jesus he saw the other stuff I was a witness to him but not a good one our lives our actions are a witness to the world And if it's not birthed out of a life of obedience, Jesus will not be seen. And the beauty of it is I was at a time in my life where I was growing. I was new to my faith. I was was in a place where God was changing me from the inside out. And so the, the grace part of it is we're all on a journey. We will all experience a time like this where we will be convicted and challenged but in those moments it requires a posture of reverence as we learn to set aside Christ as lord not just Christ as you know casual but lord of our life as the one and only one in our life not just one of many not the scraps from a from a table but the one and only savior of our life and so our nature in those moments will be exposed. In those moments when called upon, those moments will show where we are in the midst of trouble and, and trial. And so in those moments when they come, remember this from 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, it, it tells us, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged. That's tough. With gentleness, correcting those who, Who are in opposition if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. Let's leave that up there for a second. Because you look at this stuff and you think about interactions. Choral, be kind, able to teach, patient, gentle. Are those qualities that we have when having discussions defending our faith? On Facebook. (laughs) Right? Like... Like, that's supposed to be our posture. Doesn't mean that we're not defending. Doesn't mean that we're just rolling over and taking a beating. But we are to correct, what? With gentleness. We have to, in those moments, realize that God has given us a great opportunity to defend. The word defense in Greek is apologi, or apologia. And that word almost has a sense of replying to an accusation. Their accusation is, you're wrong. You're wasting your life on this. And our response is, no, we're not. We're not. And let me tell you the reason why. Let me give you a response. So whether it's to be formal charges or an informal accusation, Christians must always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in us. And the tone? With gentleness and respect. Does that describe the response that we have to the world? The responses that we've had? You know, in moments of hostility um, or those moments when they appear, they're usually not expected. Like, we don't plan, all right, I'm gonna go to my friend's house. We're gonna get hostile about talking about our faith. They're usually not like that. Like, they come when we least expect it. Are we ready? Are those moments where we can show the gentleness and love of Christ correcting? Not with aggressiveness, not with just trying to be too domineering, but those slanders will come. They probably already have. And our greatest defense in the midst of all this, and I'll say it again, it's, it's our life. When they see us, they should see Jesus. Because then our words, they mean nothing. We could have the best defense in the world. We could have all the apologetics. We could know all the scripture. We could have read every commentary under the sun. But all that means zip if our life is not reflecting an obedient walk with Christ. So again, how do we defend our faith with unbelievers? First, by not fearing those who mistreat us. Second, by always being prepared to offer the hope of Christ that's in us. And finally, to remember the suffering work of our Savior. As we talk about all this, we can't forget that what what little we suffer, it's nothing compared to what Christ has suffered. It's nothing compared to what he faced. Look at verse 18 And what it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. You know, through one man, death entered this world. Through one man, the opportunity for salvation entered the world. And we have this because of what happened on the cross. The righteous for the unrighteous. Sinless perfection for sinful rebellion. That was the cost of grace, and it was not cheap grace. It was costly, it is effective, and it's available to all. We all can be made alive through Christ, We all have that opportunity. And Peter, he emphasizes this over and over again in his letter. And so for us as Christ followers, how can we defend our faith when talking to unbelievers? Remember what Jesus suffered on our behalf. Because he suffered on our behalf, because he gave through blood and through nails and through a cross, we can be encouraged Because he went before us as a great high priest. And so when the unbelieving world sees our lives, let them see Jesus. Jesus was willing to suffer. He was willing to face the fight. He didn't encourage the hostility. He embraced it. He wanted it. And in those moments, let's remember his words in Matthew 5 where he said, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, they may see your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. So church, let's go as light, let's go as salt, let's go in this world, being that beacon, that witness of Christ, that people so desperately need. Let's love people enough, to be willing to speak into their lives. Is that something that you're willing to do? Let's pray. Father, I pray as we go in this world that we do not respond with being really defensive. I pray that our life is the greatest witness to the world. I pray that we really think about what story we are telling To whom we are pointing? Is it a message of gentleness, respect, sacrificial love? Is it a message of condemnation? Father, I pray that we love you with all our hearts, with our souls, with our minds, with all our strength. And may we love our neighbor as ourselves. All of this as we depend on the Spirit. Help us, Father. We cannot do this on our own. Thank you so much for making us alive through your death and through your resurrection. Father, let us live different in the world, but not of it. And let many be saved because us being used as vessels of you. We love you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together.